You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. again for another episode of the x-man podcast i'm your host doc coil thank you as always for checking out the program things are going pretty good hope you guys enjoyed my last show with uh, tim williams from vision of disorder i'm getting a lot of wonderful feedback on that show which is always great to hear uh yeah but a lo- lot of stuff happening this week uh i'm fully vaccinated Nice announcement. Feels good. Even though I got the sniffles today, which I'm sure is completely unrelated. It's pretty chilly out here and windy in the old Long Beach, California. But if I sneeze on here, excuse me. And it has been announced that Bad Wolves summer tour with Disturbed and Stained has been canceled officially. And despite all the, the progress that is happening vaccine wise on the ground i mean they're breaking records every other day for the amount of vaccines and they're saying mr president biden just gave a speech saying everyone who should get one i guess in may or needs one should be able to get one in may and everything should be open by by july but i think with all the uncertainty the different um regulations between different states and liability and liability and all that and not being able to predict all that i i imagine all the the powers that be with that tour decided to kind of err on the side of caution and not do the tour but i do think things are going to be opening up just today in los angeles movie theaters opened up gyms opened up and yeah i think we can see the um the light at the end of the tunnel, which which is great. And so there's a lot of things to be excited excited about despite the tour being canceled. And I'm just going to say, I've listen, guys, you know me. If you listen to the show, I've done the get vaccinated thing. But I'll say again, please get vaccinated. It is I in, in your self-interest. Yes, I get it. There's don't want to expose yourself to any risk, but it's a communal thing. The more people do it. The more this shit, the quicker this shit's going to open up and everything will be back to normal. And it'll be, we could all look back on this and maybe laugh, hopefully. But it's a, it's a rough time, but things are moving up. And if you're in like Texas right now and Florida, I guess you're, you're already living your best life. (laughs) But we still can't do national tours yet. So, uh, you know, and just, just kind of just make a comment about the kind of whole response to to this thing, you know, I've, I've kind of, it's really unfortunate the way we think about the pandemic and the response to the pandemic has been so politicized and tribalized. And even, listen, me, you guys know, kind of know I'm, I'm in the middle, but I lean left and I, and I definitely feel like with this situation, erring on the side of caution was definitely important, but I've I've noticed people tend to when they think about this thing, they tend to just focus on 
the argument they're trying to make, right? So, you know, like the governor, Ron DeSantis of Florida, uh, he'll just talk about the economic impact and the freedom and all that stuff, but just, just, just don't talk about the dead people. Yeah, just don't talk about it. And vice versa. If if you're focusing on safety and you, you want the lockdowns, you want all that stuff, you just don't don't worry about the people who aren't working. Don't don't worry about the people who are depressed. And I just think that's it's idiotic, you know, and I and and it's you're trying to win an argument. You're not actually trying to look at the the full reality, the full scope of things. And that the truth is it is a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. And now that we kind of move through it, I've noticed, I think a lot of people are almost, they're so used to reacting one way to it and like fighting for that, right? Like I'm fighting people to wear masks. I'm fighting people to open things up that they, they're almost like immovable from that. And there's, there's some people close to me where I feel like it's like, hey, you're vaccinated. You can you can do shit now. But it's like, but there's still a risk. I'm like, yeah, I, I get that. But at a, certain, at a certain point, you have to venture into the world again and not make, if you're 95% protected and more and more people are being protected every day, you got to make that transition. And you can't, you know, we can't hide in our houses forever. I fucking certainly don't. Um, and... You know, you don't you don't want to let be a victim of your habits now. My habits now is that I don't go out. My habits are that I don't go here. It's like at some point we got to change that, and we got to start trusting that we're going to be all right and say, all right, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of risk, but that's all right. It was always a, it's all, what's that uh, line from Lord of the Rings? You know, it's uh, quite a thing taking that first step out of your door, Mister Frodo Baggins, something like that. See, so you got the sniffles. Um, and that's, and that's the case, you know, and they're in that book, they're talking about adventure and the idea that anything adventurous inherently has some risks. So anytime you cross the street, anytime you just engage in anything, get in your car, we're all, we're all taking risks. Uh, but at least now we can, we can do so as safely as possible. And it's, it is what it is. And apparently it's gonna be one of the things we're just kind of have to live with societally. Uh, but anyway, I just what I'm saying is let's be more flexible. Let's not get stuck in my tribe says this, so I'm stuck in here. Get out of that a little bit, and let's get let's let's get to that light at the end of the tunnel. Let's get to the end of the tunnel. We're gonna get there. We can see it. We almost smell, if I wasn't had the sniffles, I could almost smell it. Good lord, I don't know where this came from. I guess just being outside, being being cold. Good lord, no fun. All right, guys. We do have a sponsor this week. It's a band from Scotland, a death metal band called Trucido. I'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced. I hope I'm not. I hope I'm true or Trucido, something like that. It's spelled T-R-U-C-I-D-O. They're from Scotland, which is which is pretty sick. And we're gonna play a track entitled Macabre Illusion.
so that was Trucido or Trucido. Hope I'm getting right. I feel bad, fellas. My apologies for butchering your name with their track, Trucido with their track, Macabre Illusion, of which they have an EP of the same name. Uh, all the tracks are not out just yet, but four out of the six tracks which will be on the record are available on the band's Bandcamp page, trucido.bandcamp.com, or you go to their facebook.com backslash Metal. And by the way, there's actually, there's an, even before I get into that, I checked out the band on Spotify, and they have a tribute to the band Death, which is sick. And by the way, that was a sick track. A lot of, I felt, you know, I don't, I don't have hair, so I can't really do the windmill, but if I did have hair, I I would have done, done it to that. There's, you know, it comes in with the four snare hits, all right, like any proper death metal song. So I was I, I was feeling that shit. It was that's some see it's called true sudoku. That shit's true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I really in, enjoyed that song. And um, anyway, yeah, that was, that, was, that was really cool. But they're from fucking from Scotland, which is sick. All right, if you ever been to Scotland, some real shit out there. You can't understand that. I can't. I you know, but they're they love their metal about as much as anyone. Uh, if you really enjoyed the band, also just uh, you can drop them an email at trucido1, and that's T R U C I D O, the number one, at outlook.com. Tell them Doc Coyle and the X Men sent you. If you want to sponsor the show, you know what to do. Drop in my DMs, or you can email me at the X Men podcast at gmail.com. Alrighty then. We have an incredible, incredible, legendary guest today. And this is this is very exciting for me. We have Mr. Miles Kennedy, singer of Alter Bridge, singer of Slash, with Slash, I guess, and the conspirators. I mean, I there's just very few people I've had on the show that are this accomplished, this talented, and um it was just an absolute pleasure to have the opportunity. I've been such a, a fan of Alter Bridge for a while now. And kind of, he's one of these guys, the more I learn about him and the more I kind of dig into all the things he's done, it's uh, it's difficult not to be a giant fan of, of, of him. And this interview, you know, it's pretty, for, for me, it's a pretty quick interview in terms, you know, we're not going for two, three hours, but I tell you, I, I say it's, it is like we get all the right stuff, though. It's it's just high quality every 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 bit of this. So I think you guys are just gonna love this. So I'm I'm gonna stop blathering and we're gonna get to the get to the interview. Please check out my conversation with the mighty, the mighty Miles Kennedy. I figure if I can do one thing, it can be be punctual. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, I want I want that to be on my tombstone. Miles Kennedy, he was punctual. He was on time. I mean, there are worse things to have. But listen, I mean, you you know you know rock and rollers. This is not our our highest attribute, <laughs> right? It's funny how that works. We're always a little tardy. <laughs> well, it's so it's so funny. I'm you know uh, preparing for this. And by the way, thank you so much for for taking your time to. To, to do this um i don't think we've ever met um but 
you're someone I've admired for a really long time. And I know we did some Bad Wolves and Slash uh, did some festivals a couple of years back. So um, I don't know how, how much you're familiar with what I do. And, you know, I am. I am. I'm, it's great to be here, man. I like what you do. Thank you so much. And I also love your taste in films. <laughs> Listen, this is it's an affliction. OK, uh, but hold, let me check my mic. It is it is an affliction, but you know, you got, sometimes you just got to lean into it. All right, Le- lean into the inner nerddom, and uh, you know, just go for it. <laughs> All good, man. Well, well, anyway, no. So, so kind of preparing for this, it's uh, one of the things that kind of came to me because I had this idea of you not really knowing you, and just maybe like picking up things through interviews or just a general vibe. Is that? you seem like the epitome of a professional. And so I, that's why I kind of was making this uh, point about being on time or being that, that, is, that it's not that usual is that we kind of think about lead singers. Right. And I, like, I always make this joke. I'm like, all singers are crazy. It's just, you just need to get like, you're c- kind of crazy. That works. That works for you, but you don't seem crazy. <laughs> you, you don't know me well <laughs> so are you are you that guy like that that seems like you you show up and you kind of you're just there and you're doing the job well and but i have i have a, also have another theory about this but i think what make what might make you a little less crazy than most singers is that you're you're a guitar player it's interesting you should bring that point up someone said that once actually i was Someone made a comment about, I was in a band, I just started playing with someone and their wife made a comment about how I didn't seem to have LSD, which is lead singer disease. Um, and and she said, oh, that's right, because you started as a guitar player. So maybe that maybe that's it. But look, I'm not perfect and I still have my weird hangups. I'm, I'm still, you know, I, I have my, uh, I just, you know, we all have our quirks, right? Yeah. Well, of of course, I mean, but I think some of it is actually a little logical in the idea that being a singer, it's like the show in some way depends on your body, right? Like that's so yeah. cool and that's so sensitive, right? So it's like this idea like, man, if, I, if I'm talking too much, if I don't get enough sleep and that kind of insecurity about my physical state affecting if I can do my job. I think there's, an, and there's so much emotion around. I always think about this sometimes, a lot of artists where they're bleeding kind of on the on stage every day emotionally. That's just, this just puts you in a state. Like it's not the same. I think, you know, us as guitar players, we can emote through the instrument, but it's just not the same, you know? So I think it is, in, in a way it is separate. And maybe the a drummer is probably the closest thing because they're just the physicality of what what they're doing, but it's just not the same. So we so we have to kind of, we have to give everyone the leeway to be different. You know, it's not better, or worse, just different. right, right, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, sorry. No, I, I I concur. I agree. <laughs> well, 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 right on. So I I went through your whole career, and there's so much. You're one of these guys that you've done so much stuff that it's almost difficult to even kind of understand the full breadth of it and some of it i didn't even really know so you i i looked up so you started out with this band or maybe maybe start i don't know if it's your first band but this uh 
jazz fusion band called Cosmic Dust. And it was all instrumental. And then that led into this other band called Citizen Swing, which was almost funk R&B thing. So, so this was stuff coming out of, you went to college for music? I did. Yeah, I was a music geek. I studied it. I, you know, went and, and uh, learned how to arrange for big bands and all the stuff that I never would never use. But uh, hey, I got this little degree. So that was, <laughs> there's that. Well, but, but, but obviously you seemed connected to what you learned there because it, it kind of immediately was injected into the next things you were doing kind of creatively and, and from a performance standpoint, right? So that's obviously part of your DNA. Yeah. I mean, look, I, 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 I've gone through so many different phases and I'm one of these guys, like I love heavy music. I love jazz. I love country. I love most all of it. Um, so I think that, you know, studying music and having, having a good understanding of it just allowed me the opportunity when, when someone called me up and say, Hey, you want to play in my fusion band? I was like, damn right. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's get all geeky. And, uh, uh, and, but then at the same time, you know, when, when, uh, I want to, you know, plug into a wall of marshals and rock out, um, that, that love is there as well. So, yeah, I think that, um, I was, you know, it's funny. I was just really hungry. I remember, I'll never forget the first day. So I got out of high school. Right. And, and that's just a, such a weird time because you don't know what you're going to do with your life. And I certainly didn't set out thinking that all of this was going to happen. I had no freaking clue, man. I was just like, well, I just want to, I would love to play music and I would love to, gosh, if I could play music and maybe provide for my family someday, if I had a family, um, that would be cool. So maybe I'll, I'll go study at a college and maybe I'll become a music educator or maybe I'll become a session player or whatever it was. I never intended to be a recording artist, but I'll never forget that first day of, of school. Like I was just so into learning and so into just absorbing as much as I could that I signed up for as many you know, these things you get. It was cool. You'd get a college credit for it. They were called combos. So I signed up for like everything I possibly could. I was in the country combos and the rock combos and the jazz combos and the fusion combo. I was just like, I was just a sponge. And I think that that, that was really the moment when I, I knew that I didn't want any limitations going forward. I just wanted to do whatever. And, and if it got me off, I was going to do it. And, and you know, why pin your, why paint yourself into a corner genre wise. So there's a, a video some might call it infamous video <laughs> of you playing, performing at a guitar contest. <laughs> and I think it was either 1990, 1992, somewhere around there. I guess this is like the Citizen Swing days because you actually perform a Citizen Swing song. And now the first thing you notice is the visuals. All right. This is Miles, young Miles, pretty boy. All right. He's looking good. Okay. What about that that permed hair? Wow. Woo. And the pirate outfit. See that's see that's that's the other thing. But the way you're you're dressed, and then I looked up some of the live performances of Citizen Swing, you're pretty much dressed like the same way. Right. Like, you know what it reminded me of? Is the first time I went to a dream theater show. It was just a lot of ponytails. <laughs> but it, these are like the metal dudes who like bathed, you know. 
They had decent jobs, you know, a lot of slacks, you know, but the, the pirate shirts, <laughs> you know, pirate shirts tucked in. And it was just, uh, listen, I loved it. Okay. I, I love this. But you're, so you won this contest, correct? As, uh, somehow, I, <laughs> I don't know how. Maybe they were just, they felt sorry for me because of my pirate outfit. Uh, yeah, that, that was a, that was called, it was the Axeman competition and it was held at a music store and I didn't even want, I wasn't even going to enter it. And long story short, I was busy at the kind of the genesis of the, what was going to be citizen swing. And my manager, she was like, Hey, you should enter this guitar competition. I'm like, eh, I don't know, you know? So it ended up being a really fun experience and, and, uh, it's something that we kind of joke around about, to be honest with you, doc, like my wife and I, it's you know, it's 30 years ago, but I, because I won it, I won the title for the year called the Axeman, right? So it's like, if if I'm sitting here at the house and and Selena will come in and she's like, oh, I brought the Axeman some coffee. You know, it's just this kind of running joke because it's, you know, it's kind of goofy, but it's, it was fun. Predates Axe Body Spray. Yeah, exactly. So you were like the original. See, see if they would have known you were the axe man, then maybe you could have got an endorsement thing, gotten some commercials, lifetime supply axe, you know, could have been a thing. Could have been a thing. It could have been a thing. So, so, but some of this stuff for me was kind of a revelation because probably like a lot of people, I was introduced to you as a vocalist and it wasn't really until, you know, I really got into Alter Bridge on the record Fortress. That was like cool. for like a year. I was just, I was like, this is the sickest record. And I would hear all these great solos, but I didn't even know you were doing that. Like, I didn't know who was doing what until I started watching some, some live footage. And then I remember reading something that like Slash said, oh, he's like, oh, he's like, Miles is a better guitar player than me. And then I saw that video and then I'm like, oh, like you're a, sh you're one of these dudes, one of these shredder dudes that can just do all this stuff that we kind of, you know, especially of that, you know, 80s going into the 90s, this was like an era of human beings like you. All right, these people that I get jealous of. I'm like, oh, stop. Okay. No, but, 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 um, you know, how did you kind of develop that kind of level of technical prowess? I mean, was it just kind of the thing you were talking about earlier about just wanting to learn and just kind of digging your kind of head into that, into that thing of wanting to be a guitar player like that? Yeah. I mean, I was just, I was kind of obsessed. You know, I started, look, man, I mean, you remember you're growing up and you're trying to find your, your place, you what, you know, what are you going to do with your life and who are you going to be and what try, you know, like I was, I always felt like kind of an outcast. So when I discovered the guitar and especially what was happening in the, in the eighties, when I, when I first started playing, which was all these just amazing cats who were kind of pushing the envelope with it, with the technique. And I wanted just a taste of that. Look, I, was I, did I ever develop my chops to, to be at the level of so many guys who went on to just be, you know, spectacular? No, <laughs> but I, but I just wanted to, you know, little things in my kind of trick bag that I could pull out once in a while. And so I was, I would sit in my room and spend my summer sitting in my bedroom, just, just shredding, you know, trying to, trying to get the technique happening. Um, but, uh, it's yeah, it's interesting because a lot of that stuff I'd never use anymore <laughs> because after Nirvana, it wasn't cool for a, for such a long time. I mean, with one song when Smells Like Teen Spirit came out, it killed all of that. So it wasn't cool to 
to show any sort of um, uh, discipline on your instrument other than songwriting. Songwriting became more of the thing. So that was that. And that's where I've started to focus was just trying to create a compelling song. Well, you, you say that you don't really use it, but I even, you know, I got the promo for your new solo album, Ides of March, and I hear it there. Just there's certain kind of, I don't know, ease of movement in in players like that. There are certain things you do where I'm like, some people just have that, and that's that's just been developed through all that all that hard work. I want to kind of talk a little bit about this. I don't even I don't even know if you'd call it a transition, but this other skill set uh, and talent as a as a vocalist uh, was that something you were actually? Let me re re rephrase it. So very few people come out the womb able to do you know, sweet picking and <laughs> two hand tapping, but some people do come out of the womb and can just sing, right? Like some people are just born with that uh, ability. Is that, are you one of those people or did you develop your vocal ability the same way you developed your guitar playing? Vo vocals came a little easier, but I, interestingly enough, it wasn't the act of singing that was something I had to develop. It was the act, it was being the front guy. I never wanted to be the front guy. I, I, I just wanted to play guitar and, and you know step out play a little solo step back hang out with the drum kind of drummer shoot the shit you know and 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 then it was like uh, once i started writing songs and i'm like man i'm having a hard time finding the singer i think i'm just gonna have to do this but i i i took it for granted i, I really did and and i think as the years have gone on i've i've come to be more aware and grateful for for the fact that that was there because Ultimately, it, it just helped facilitate the songs, you know, just made it so that if I, you kind of become like a, when, if you can sing and write songs and play guitar, then you kind of become a kind of this, it, it's interesting because you don't have to really rely on anyone to 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 get your vision across you know it's like you can you can at least in the genesis of putting a song together you can get an idea for what it's going to be because you can kind of demo everything put the vocal on it go okay when i go to the band that this is what this could sound like this is how this could work so that's that's really helpful um but yeah man i i didn't i didn't i didn't want to be a singer part of what we part of it was because of what we were you started talking about like the 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 lsd the lead singer disease you know you I just seen that and it became like a cliche. You hear all these stories about lead singers and the stuff they do. And I was like, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> you know? But I, but that probably ties to maybe this version of things where you can kind of be viewed as being one of the few sane singers. It's like any situation like that. Like you want the person who is in power who actually doesn't want power, right? You want uh, you want the reason why Frodo is the perfect person to carry the ring is because he doesn't want the ring. That is a great wow. That's a great analogy. That's a great yeah. analogy. Well, 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 I think it, it speaks to power, right? To to a certain degree, if you get the singer who wants to be a singer because they want attention, because they want fame, because they want the spotlight, it's going to kind of accentuate all these qualities that maybe are not something that is a very healthy thing right logically um and kind of may, might exacerbate or this idea i think of a lot of people who get involved in creative fields and performative fields is that we're all trying to kind of fill some hole right we didn't get enough love 
from our parents or whatever, or we're dealing with some trauma and then we're filling that with adulation from ex exterior forces, be that an audience or whatever. Absolutely. You are, it's, you just articulated it perfectly. I think that that is what, that's what happens with a lot of, not, not just singers, but artists in general, there's some sort of void they're trying to fill. Right. And, and I certainly had voids I was trying to fill, but I think that as, as, as we all are, but it's to what degree and singers, what's interesting. And, and I think it's what makes some singers so compelling to watch. And I think that that's part of why I never look at myself as a front, as a quote unquote front man, because I don't know if I have that element of danger where, you know, like what's going to happen here. You ask what's going to happen when he gets on stage. I mean, is this going to be just a complete disaster? Is this going to be the greatest thing I've ever seen? Um, and I, so I think that though it may be easier to, to <laughs> kind of deal with me, there's probably some part where, the guys in the bands are like, man, I wish Miles was just a little more unpredictable. <laughs> so maybe after this, I'll, I'll, I'll try and integrate that into my. <laughs> well, no, no, no. See, it's, it's funny. So actually when I was doing research, I, I, I wrote down a question and the question was rock star or musician. Right. And this is a real distinction. And I think maybe a lot of people who are on the fan side of things don't really think about it, but something I think about all the time. And it's the same, some ways you can, uh, you can almost make a correlation to Hollywood, right? Like the difference between a movie star and a great actor, they're kind of different things. And it's, and with you, I was like, oh, he's definitely in that musician camp. But then I don't know, I was looking at some live footage. I'm like, I think that guy's a rock star. <laughs> I, fool, I fooled you. You could be, but no, but I, th I think you can be both, right? Like one of my biggest heroes in the entire music industry is Dave Grohl. Mm. Because yeah. yeah, he's someone to me that epitomizes what a musician, someone who's like, I'm a musician. And to me, the, at the heart of being a musician, it's kind of like this blue collar thing, right? Like, it's really about, we got to go up there and do this two hour gig and we got to go make a record. And that's the fun shit. The process is the fun part, not the result, whether that's going to be a gold record or you go buy a Lamborghini. That's cool. That's great. But the musicians are like, no, we're into like, we're into being on the road. We're into being in the studio and we're into like working on the craft of it. And the rock star part is kind of like what sells it, right? It's like, this is kind of like being the character, being the large and light figure is at the at the heart of how we kind of connect it all but but there are different things i mean and i don't even, I, almost the way i'm kind of putting this i don't even have a question really. <laughs> i was just kind of thinking out loud to a certain to a certain degree i like it i agree uh but no i mean how i guess the, the question would be i mean do you do you feel like you can wear both hats are you comfortable playing the rock star well, I've had to learn to kind of put, I've, I've learned to wear the hat when, when needed. Um, it's always a little more difficult for me to step into that role than as the, the musician can, I think the musician part is just more in my DNA. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can, I can do it if need be, but, uh, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a switch I turn off and on when needed. 
you know, I'm not that guy 24 seven. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting because I, I slash is my favorite guitar player. Um, and I read his book and to me, he kind of strikes me as having that same kind of attitude because he is outside looking in perception, probably the, the, one of the greatest rock stars, right? Just the persona, the imagery, the history, the lore. But when you read about his whole philosophy about what he does, he's the blue collar guy. He's a guy that wants to live on the road. He's a guy that always wants to make, make a record. So, and like I said, I don't know him personally. Um, and maybe we're kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but it's, but I, I try and model what I do after people like that, where it's like, all right, to the outside world, I'm the rock God. But when it comes down to it, it's like, it's about the work and it's about, for me, at least this, the, the act of just being in a band, that old school, like, we're just going to make some noise and get together and hang out. Like, that's the best shit. Right. You know, um, very old school kind of mentality. I know in, in today's day and age, but it's something I'm very romantic for. Anyway, right, good. enough about me. Uh, so you had a band before Alter Bridge and after Citizen Swing called the Mayfield Four, and there's a giant difference uh, musically between Citizen Swing and the Mayfield Four. It seemed like you kind of, which is interesting, because you're you. I know you were you were born in Massachusetts, but you grew up in Washington. Is that yeah, right? correct. So it's kind of interesting during the kind of peak of the 90s when all these grunge bands were coming out of Washington, you were doing this punk R&B thing, right. <laughs> missing the wave. Right. <laughs> and then the Mayfield Four, even though the name sounds like it's a doo-wop band, uh, <laughs> was actually a little, from to my ears, a little more in line with kind of that alternative scene that was going going on. Uh, like what happened in between that time? Was it just, did your taste change? Or did you feel like, you know what, if I don't kind of start capitalizing off this great voice and these good looks, I'm going to, I'm going to miss, miss the boat. Was it a, a more creative move or was it more like a commercial, commercially minded uh, move? I think it was, it was interesting because with Citizen Swing, I, it was intentional. Like the, the we, I was playing in, in cover bands in the late eighties. I was still in high school, but we would gig at night and we were playing, we started playing Soundgarden songs before anybody knew who Soundgarden was. We just thought, there's this band over the hill. Have you heard this song? Um, and we're like, oh, that's, that's really cool. So we'd play a few of those songs in the set. Um, but then when it came time to actually create my own music, I was like, well, look, that thing's happening over the hill there. And then it it exploded by like 91, 92. And, uh, and I thought to myself, well, let, let's try and come up with our own scene, our own sound. If we just do that, that's not being genuine. What do I listen to? What do I love? And at the time, I was listening to a lot of Stevie Wonder. I was listening to Tower Power. I was listening to Marvin Gaye. I was listening. I mean, so th this was what was affecting me and, and, and filling the well. And that's where I drew from. By the time 96 came around and I had some friends who I used to play in bands with back in high school who had moved to Seattle and we agreed, hey, let's let's kind of meet halfway here. And it was literally like they would drive five hours. We'd rehearse during the weekends in Spokane. And then on the next weekend, I'd drive five hours and we'd rehearse in Seattle. So it was, it was this combination of like Seattle, 
and Spokane. It was interesting. And the kind of the common ground we met on musically was that, that sound or had elements of what was happening in Seattle. So the other, the other big part of the equation sonically was I discovered Jeff Buckley. So once I heard the Grace record and then I saw him live in Seattle, um, probably I think it was 95. That was just a game changer for me, man. I mean, it was just like, whoa. So I was trying to figure out who I was as an artist. I'm, I'm absorbing all these different things. And to be perfectly honest with you, I feel like the Mayfield 4, especially the first record, um, it was a little premature for me as an artist. I didn't know who I was yet. I was I was basically mimicking but at that point. By the second Mayfield 4 record, it was starting to, starting to gel. It became more of a rock band, and I was starting to kind of get it figured out. But that's just part of the journey, man. That's part of the process. And so it's fun to have those records to go back and revisit and go, oh yeah, I was in, I was in this phase here. And, uh, or even lyrically, you know, you can listen to the narrative of the arc of the, of the narrative and go, oh yeah, I was going through this, this, and this. And, and, uh, it's, it's like a sonic journal. It's fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, you said about the kind of, um, being inspired by other artists or maybe following other people creatively. The way you sing in Citizen Swing is different. Like you said, you're doing more of a Stevie Wonder thing. And then, so it's, I guess, to some degree, it's like this, this idea of finding your voice. Were you, but were you, were you one of these singers that you could kind of, especially you're doing a lot of covers, could you mimic other people's sound? A little bit. Not, I mean, I know guys that can do it way better. I could kind of, like with Stevie Wonder, the reason I love Stevie so much is it was his it's, it's his inflections it's how fast he does those runs and that's what i love ab about a lot of r&b singers um actually there's a a friend here in spokane or just around spokane here um who i'm so proud of his name's alan stone i'm sure you've probably heard of alan he's just he's ferociously good and he can do all those inflections like he and he just makes it look effortless you know ah, he just does i'm not even going to try and imitate it because it'll be horrible but but i that's what i love about a, a lot of r&b singers um so i could i would try and you know emulate it to some degree but i think my my strength was the the range and once i figured that out and i was like well let's play off that and make it more of a soaring quality versus more i don't know i don't even know how to articulate that look it was just part of the part of the process just trying to trying to figure out who i was and to be honest with you doc i don't think i f really found out who i was till about six years ago i mean i it took decades to finally go oh th there you go okay you finally you were, you've been digging around and digging around and trying to mold this thing and then you you finally found it Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will. 
with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Isn't that cool, though? I mean, I don't know how old you are. I just turned 40. And I think you have these perceptions when you're younger that, I don't know, maybe this is like a young man's game. And to some degree it is. But if you're lucky enough to kind of carve out a career, then you do get to evolve and develop. And I think that's 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 amazing. You kind of, I think, at least for me, I, I do have new skills, but I just feel more comfortable as we right. You just get you just get a little more like, hey, this thing that I do, maybe it's not technically perfect or it's not as clean as this person or something. But I'm like, but it's the most me. It's you. I've become I've become more comfortable with my imperfections as as a musician. And only and only you can can do you. And the beauty is, is those imperfections. That's that's part of your musical DNA. And that's cool. So you embrace it. Yeah. No, I, I'm. that's what I'm trying to do. So with uh, Mayfield 4, you guys you got a, a record deal with a major label, did a ton of touring. I guess to some degree that was probably your your first exposure to this kind of grander, bigger world of the, the industry. What was that experience like? I mean, was it uh, illuminating? Was it, you know, you I mean, we, we know, probably know a ton of people who get their first shot and they find out how kind of cutthroat or difficult and it makes them bitter. What was your kind of takeaway from that whole experience? Or like maybe feeling like, I don't know if you had certain expectations that, oh, this band is, we're going to be the next Nirvana or something. And then, it, you know, how, how did you kind of, what was your takeaway from that whole experience? Well, I it was an educational experience. You know, if you, you think, oh, we're going to get signed, that that's the be all end all, you're off to the off to the races. And what I, what I discovered was that's just the beginning. And at at that period, you know, I didn't, I didn't know if it was, um, there was so much I didn't understand. And at that point, about 5% of the bands that were signed ever recouped, you know, which were able to even pay back the label and have enough, enough success. So, um, it was, it was tough, man. It was a little bit, it was a little bit bittersweet, say the least. You finally, get to play in the in the big league and then you discover that it's it's brutal and it is very cutthroat and there's a lot of bs you have to put up with and by the end of it i was kind of i was kind of burnt out so we got signed in like 97 and then we were done in 2002 somewhere around there and i kind of hung up my cleats for a while i was just like yeah i don't know i i thought i think i'm just going to be a guitar teacher i got married 
I was like, I don't know. I don't know about that world. And uh, it took me some time to want to put those cleats back on and get back out on the field and play ball. Well, on this show, the X-Men, it's so amazing how it's the same story. Like everyone has that, that, that first band that has a shot. We go out and we grind it and it doesn't work out. And we all go, Hey, you know, man, working at Starbucks don't seem so bad. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, like Godfather three, we get pulled back in. Uh, (laughs) So around that time you get cast in a movie. Hey guys, doc cutting in here real quick. I realized listening back, talking about this movie, I don't mention the title in the intro and it's Rockstar starring Mark Wahlberg famously fictionalizing the story of Ripper Owens getting into Judas Priest and Miles Kennedy is in the movie at the end. So there's my little footnote. Back to the interview. All right. This is and it's this weird thing. It's just so funny about life where it's a pretty big movie, pretty popular, and but you weren't a known figure at the time. So I'm not, we don't watch the movie, we go, oh, that's Miles Kennedy. We just go, oh, that's a cool looking rocker guy. And then now I so I f- literally forgot you were in this scene. And then I watched the scene on YouTube and then I got so pumped up. I watched the whole movie last night. <laughs> I never used to like it that much. And now I love it because it's I can't tell if the movie's like an unintentional comedy or if it's intentional, but it's, I was, I was, I was, I was loving it. And by the way, you're great in it. Thanks man. You're actually, your acting performance, I think is really earnest and heartfelt. I don't know. It wasn't acting. I was just, I was just happy to be there. Yeah. Well, no, but you can, you, you, you could tell it almost, but it's really difficult not to watch the movie and think about where you were at in your career at the time. And kind of the metaphor, um, which is, I don't know if it's ironic or if that's just like the universe kind of overlapping at, at the, at, at the time, um, before we, I want to ask a little bit about that, but how did that all come about? I was sitting at home. Um, I think this would have been about 2002 and I got a call from my manager at the time and he was like, Hey, I got, I just got this someone just reached out from this film and wanted to know if you'd be interested in, you know, reading for it. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how to do any of that. And they're like, a long story short, you know, here's what it would be. They want someone who's actually going to sing it and be in it. I was like, all right, well, it turns out I got, my name got thrown into the, into the hat by, and I didn't find this out till about a year later by a guy named Brendan O'Brien, amazing producer. And he'd mixed the, the first Mayfield four record. So he was like, Hey, they were like, Hey, we're looking for this guy that could do this, this, and this. And he's like, wait, there's this guy in Spokane. You should give him, a, give him a call. So I'm forever in debt to Brendan for that. Um, yeah. And so I went down and I, I, I read for the part and then that was it. Got, got it. Did you have to sing the song? I did. So I, I read, I did the reading and then I went to a studio and sang the song later that night. And, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Well, it's really crazy. So it's you, and then the other singer trying out is Mike from yeah. uh, Steel Panther. Yeah, like amazing. It's just all these little little Easter eggs. If if, right. if you know, with hindsight, people that we didn't know then that we that would 
go on to be, become very very successful. Um, but no, but so so the to me the metaphor with with the movie is that like all films to me, especially films about rock music and this this world that we come from where we know what it's really like and then there's like this hollywood version and the reason why i say it's 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 a metaphor but it's not because in the film they do what hollywood always does and i'm not, i'm not trying to diss diss the filmmakers i actually do do enjoy the film but it's literally like his character is kind of a dick <laughs> and he's just more or less is just handed hey kid come down and be in the band right like right it rarely happens like that i'm sure it's happened like that some sometimes and maybe the situation with priest and ripper was was like that but i think the way things happen for you is more like how it happens it's just you get one little break but then you got to go out and bust your ass for four or five years and you build and you build and build and that leads to another opportunity but then you have to go out and bust your ass and build and then then you look 10 12 years later now all of a sudden you are that guy headline in the arena but it didn't happen just because someone gave you a call on a monday and you're headlining the arena on friday because you're talented right uh it is. And, but but anyway but it was it was difficult for me not to kind of look at you through that point because it happened at that right right before essentially the deal with Alter Bridge happened, and right. that essentially your 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 big break. Um, I, I was I would suppose correct. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So how did they? Uh, I, I know Mayfield Four toured with Creed. Is that how you developed a relationship with those those guys? Yeah, we toured in just as they were kind of starting to blow up. It was in the summer of '98, so this was before their second record, which just went gangbusters, and. Um, we hadn't spent much time together. That was what was really interesting. Really, the only person I briefly hung out with was Flip, our drummer. I, I met Mark Brie. It was like literally a fist bump in the cafeteria at the Hard Rock Cafe <laughs> uh, that summer. So I was pretty surprised when when they reached out. I, I was really just kind of like, I didn't even know they watched any, had even heard our music. I assumed they were on the bus, you know, hanging out. Uh, so, so, yeah, that was that was. Uh, really it was an interesting time too because like i said i'd kind of taken off my my cleats i was just not sure what i was going to do i'd had another really am amazing chance to audition for something and i didn't even i didn't even turn the demo tape back in i just wasn't ready psychologically um but when when they called it it was interesting it just felt there was something about it that felt like it, it felt appropriate at that point in my life and um and I also felt like there, what I do, because I'm a melodic, that I'm all about melody. I love melody, and and I felt like the the, the way they approach things was was the same. So we, we knew, you know, I knew we'd be on the same page in that respect. So yeah, man, it all worked out. I mean, it's interesting. I honestly did not because I'm such a pessimist in terms of how, and because of the experience I'd been through with Mayfield Four and how brutal this business is. I was like, well, maybe we'll, you know, we'll do this record and that'll be it. And that was fun. And then I'll go back to figuring out whether I'm going to be a guitar teacher or not. You know, I just assumed we do the record and then they get back together with their previous band and that would be it. If you would have told me that, geez, 16, what is it? Seven, is it 17 or 16 years later now? However long we've been a band, you know, six records in. Yeah, that's crazy. That's just insane. I mean, it's, 
wow, that's crazy. So I, I just would have, I would have never believed it. It's like the, the shelf life for most rock bands is, you know, a couple of years. So somehow it all worked out. Initially, were you just approached to be a singer or did they, were they aware of your guitar prowess? No, that, the, Mark, Mark says he didn't even know I really played that much guitar. And I, I would stay at his house in the early days. And so one day I was improvising. You know, he can have those jam tracks and you just jam to him. And that's what I was doing. I would do that for hours, just having fun. And one day he walked by the room and he thought I was listening to some music. And then he figured out that it was me playing. And he's like, all right, we, we, dude, you got to be playing. <laughs> you got to be playing in the band. You got to play some guitar. And I was like, all right. That's where I'm most comfortable. So that's amazing. So, so here's what I'm gonna do right now. So I realized I have this unique opportunity to speak to you and this, so I don't know if you know anything's going bad wolves, but we split with our singer, not, not, not too long ago. And I kind of, and I'm going to say something I probably shouldn't even say on the podcast, but I, at this point, I really don't give a fuck (laughs) that basically I didn't even want to continue as bad wolves. I was like, I think we should just start something new. And, and I used Alter Bridge as like the example. I'm like, I'm like, I wonder if they would have just got a new singer for Creed and did that or Alter Bridge. I'm like, who would be bigger now? Creed with a new singer or Alter Bridge? Alter Bridge is a pretty successful band. And I was like, I was like, you know what? I don't have a good answer for that question. I can't, I don't know if you could say who would actually be bigger. Probably you say Creed just because, you know, they have the, the monster radio songs and these, these kind of, but I felt like it was the model of like, if, if things could work out perfectly where you switch singers, switch band names and all, you kind of starting from scratch, that's, you know, this is like the best case scenario. Um, so how do we do what you guys did? <laughs> <laughs> Even though we're, we, we are keeping the name. But how, like this, I'm, I'm saying this a little tongue in cheek, but I'm like, just from a bit of advice, how do we find our Miles Kennedy? Do you have any advice? <laughs> oh man, that's, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, do you remember touring and, and seeing somebody that you're like, yeah, I like, I like that guy. I think that could, that could work. Um, it's, it's so weird because half of those, I think a lot of people you would even think of, they're still, they're in a band. They're. They're working. Right, right. Everyone, just because someone is good, well, actually, more likely if someone's good, they're probably not available, right? They're doing their own thing, or they sometimes there's someone who's in a band of equal size, so it's more of a lateral move. So why leave what leave, leave what they're doing? But I guess a, a better question would would, would be, um, do you know, do you? Like, why do you think someone like you, for example, who, what I would call like in, to use a baseball term, like a five tool player, like you kind of, you have the look, uh, you have a voice that can, technically you can kind of do all this stuff, but it has a tone that felt modern. Um, You're easy to work with. You write, you're a great guitar player. You kind of have, you kind of tick all these boxes because a lot of times you'll go, we'll go, man, that. The singer man they're they're really good but it's like oh that dude is a psychopath like you'll like <laughs> you know, they're good but then you you get all these other things that maybe are not exactly what you what 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 you want it's very it's very difficult these are these are these are difficult things to to do and i i don't know maybe 
maybe in some ways me asking that was a rhetorical question. I thought you were going to have the answers for me. I thought, you well, were gonna... you know, here's what I would, here's what I would have done in this. And it is kind to a degree. It's kind of what I did in a way. And this is not a, I'm always, I try to be careful when I bring this up because I don't want this to sound like I'm slamming any singers I'd ever played with in prior bands coming up because it definitely I played with some really cool people it wasn't that but I just heard all the horror stories about other folks who'd play with who played with you know singers with LSD disease that's part of the reason I just learned to do it myself it was kind of I like the idea of I mean well I can play guitar and I can write let me just go ahead and give this a shot you know and um and maybe it's maybe you know maybe that's the way to do it or Geez, I don't know, comb, comb through Instagram. You know, people are always putting songs up that they sing and and put, you just try and... I, I, it's funny, man. I don't know about you, but I find so many great guitar players on Instagram that I started following and, you know, just learn licks from. I'm just like, oh, man, that's that's badass, <laughs> you know? Uh, and and so, there's just so much talent out there that you can find through through social media. Yes, but it also is kind of a black hole. Like, you can just search and search and go endlessly it's this it's this thing of there's a lot of people but finding like i did did this thing where i was like all right let me look up you know like five finger death punch covers just on youtube and it was it was not that good oh really <laughs> it was a, like oh there's some guy, guy killing it's like no that's a guy in his bedroom he ain't right. uh, no he needs to uh work on that uh but so it wasn't as obvious but listen we have some great candidates i don't want to pretend like it's uh very good it's, it's hopeless uh but you know i was just trying to you know siphon some of the wisdom maybe you're like you know what Doc, I, I know if i told you this i got twin brother <laughs> he plays saxophone though but he can't sing. right well my my little brother he he can actually sing but he's a he's like a, a high school superintendent now so like i don't think you're gonna be able to pull him away from his from his day gig just three months in like rock and roll boot camp, we'll get them. We'll get them. Right. There you go. There you go. So, what I just want to talk about Alter Bridge r r real quick. Um, even though it's hard to kind of break down seventeen years r really quickly, but it's a band that I, like I said, I caught on a little late because I think my perception of the band came out was it was a I perceived the band because maybe I would just hear it on the radio as being a little more like a American, more kind of radio, modern radio oriented band. And the thing that grabbed me with Fortress was how metal it was, how heavy it was, how epic it it it, it was. Um, and it seems like some of the earlier Alter Bridge stuff seemed to be kind of more geared for radio or had more success at, at, at radio. Is that something as a band that you guys have been kind of trying to go against the grain a little bit and not fit into that prototypical active rock sound. I, I think that there was a point. Yeah, you're right. That first, that first record in particular had a certain sound to it that lent itself to being played on the radio. And I think as the journey continued, we were like, well, let's just make music that gets us off. What if we want to create a seven or eight minute song and it's not, it's never going to be played on the radio. Yeah. Let's, let's go for it. And it, it was almost, it's like, have you ever seen the movie field of dreams? Sure. So there's that line, you know, if you build it, they will come. And it was the idea. If we build something that we believe in, that we find compelling, hopefully we'll find 
fans out there that feel the same way. And that's, that's, it was a, it's a, look, it's a, it's a, it's a lot longer, uh, more difficult process than if you write, you know, a good three minute single and you have radio to, to, to get it out there. But we figured, well, let's, let's see what happens here. And, um, and after all this time, you know, we've been slugging it out for, you know, nearly 20 years, we've been able to uh, assemble this fan base that is passionate about what we do. And I, I think that, uh, the beauty of that is, is that they're very loyal and they, because we've created something that only we do, that's unique to us, you know, that's our brand. And, and, um, so we kind of took the long road and, uh, the path less, less followed. Well, there's a new song called native son and that shit, this comes, this just shit comes in with a riff that just is like, I call it like a kick you in the chest riff. Who's, who's bringing the kick you in the chest riffs? Are you the kick you in the chest riff guy or is Mark the guy or both of you bringing just these like hammer riffs? That's a good question. Mark is really good at, at, I mean, to me, his biggest strength has always been his riffs, but I think for, after years, even though I started as more of a a blues slash shredder, whatever it was, I went through so many different jazz guy. I've learned to, to incorporate that into the bag of tricks. So that riff, that down, ticket, that was actually the first riff I'd written for the new batch of songs. And then the, the bridge riff is Mark. So it's one of those things we do where we kind of put our, we put our heads together and, and, and uh, create the songs. But with that said, um, it really depends on the song. Look, I th Mark's got a thing that he does that only Mark's, Mark Tremonti does. And that's what I love about playing with him is that, um, you know, he's, he's got, he's developed a very unique style and, and it, it's, it's fun to, it's fun to have that in the band. Yeah. He's, he's a legend and I, he, he's someone that's kind of weird that I have, I haven't met him. So I feel like we're, kindred spirits in a lot of ways a lot of you know just the way we think about music and stuff so hopefully one day i get to hang out with mark. Oh, you, you love mark he's great yeah look I'm, anytime he does an interview or something i'm always i'm always checking it out and, and like you he seems sane and professional which is you know rare in this business <laughs> you're like doc i got stories all right don't hey, i got stories man <laughs> um all right i want to talk a little bit about you linking up with slash so so even before I got into the Fortress record, the, the way I really got into your your singing stuff was from that first Slash record. And it's because I was playing in a cover band and they wanted me to learn Starlight and Back to Cali. Oh wow. And I and I just I and I just fell in love with those songs. I love like I love uh especially like in um Starlight, the the kind of the the vocal runs you do when you get all high up in the in the in, in the chorus uh i know that's that album that first slash album was put together like really collaboratively and there's a lot of producers and a lot of songwriters and stuff were those songs already written and you came in and just sang them or did you help put them together yeah so with with that interestingly enough the the songwriting process really hasn't changed since then he he generally comes up with the with the music like the bed and so when he called and said hey would you be interested in you know giving a song a shot he sent this music bed which is just the changes and and the pro I, I don't know if they had real drums on that one or not i can't remember and so then i put the melody and the lyric to it i spent a weekend 
crafting it, Sanga did a demo and sent it to him kind of just like, Ooh, is he, you know, is he going to like this? I don't know. And, and that was the, the beginning. And, um, and I like working that way. It's fun because you know what? It's like you get this sonic canvas as a singer, you get to paint over, you know, it's like, and a lot of, and now I've been, we've been doing it for so long. Like I generally go with my first reaction. I don't, I used to back then, like back from Cali, I obsessed about, I rewrote that melody so many times. I just was just totally obsessing. Now, if I find the ones that seem to be the, the best that ha, that have the most staying power, it's just, what is the first thing you hear? And I'll, I'll play it and I'll have the uh, my phone ready to record whatever I'm singing, just to remember what the melody is. And generally that's, that's the way it works. Then I'll put a lyric to it. How did you have much of a relationship with him before working on those two songs? No. No, interestingly enough, the only time I spoke with him was we were talking about the one opportunity that I had that I respectfully declined um, was when Velvet Revolver, before they were Velvet Revolver, this was in 2002, they were looking for, they were taking auditions, right? And so he called, it was, it was weird, one afternoon I'm sitting here in Spokane and I get the spin magazine and on the cover, I think, I think Axel was on the cover and it, it, the whole thing was about the eighties and, and all that. And so I'm reading, I'm like, wow, you know, what a fun time, blah, 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 blah. Phone rings about an hour later and it's an 818 area code. I'm like, was that my manager in LA? Is he calling me? I thought he was like, I thought he was a different area code. And sure enough, it's, it's, it's Slash. And he's like, Hey man, you know, and I, we, I'd never met him. I'd, I was just like, how did you get my phone, my phone number? So it was crazy. So he sent some songs for me to, to demo and to make a long story short, I was still in that place where I just wasn't sure I was kind of crestfallen. I, my, my, my self-confidence was in the toilet just because after what I went through with the Mayfield four, I'm like, here, one of the most iconic guitar players is, is reaching out. I'm not, I'm not ready for this, you know? So I just, I was really, man, I was flattered. I was crazy. I couldn't believe they called. Um, but I just said, Hey man, thank, thank you for thinking of me. But for me to send something back, you know, a demo back with my voice on it, it's just, I'm not ready for something like that, you know? Um, so it was interesting seven years later when he called again, um, I was, I was ready to give it a shot. I mean, was, just, I mean, obviously at that point you were fairly accomplished, but is, was there any bit of thing in you that's intimidated by something like that? That is the first time he called or the second time? Uh, more the second time. Or were you already like you felt in and of yourself that it wasn't that big of a deal? Or I'm sure it's a big deal, but you weren't intimidated. Um, I think that I just had kind of evolved and I'd started to kind of accept and understand things a little better. And I, at the, the cool thing about that record is it was a, it was all these different artists were, were taking. It's so good. I'm, I'm, I, I, I love it all, but that first record, just hearing the different voices. I agree. Different, uh, there's different styles on there. Like I love like the song with Matt from Ved Sevenfold kind of, cause it kind of sounds like an event Sevenfold song. Right. Right. I really enjoy the first record. Yeah, I do too. It's very, because it's so eclectic, you know, it's got like, I love the Iggy Pop song. I love, uh, you know, the, the song he did with Lemmy, Dr. Alibi. So it's, it's very colorful. You listen to that record and it's just, it has all these different textures, which I, which I find really 
really compelling. So I was just happy to be in the mix, you know. I didn't realize it was going to eventually lead to, once again, 10 years later, or, you know, it's it's crazy. So I thought it was going to be just two songs and that was it. Yeah, I mean, but there's such a a distinct difference with what Alter Bridge does and with Slash, with Slash, you get to do this. It's just old school, right? It's just fucking rock and roll, right? Uh, And considering your background, it seems like that's pretty comfortable for you, right? Like you, you have that in your, in your bones. Is it nice to kind of have that other outlet to kind of flex those muscles a little bit? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, I, I'm really lucky because I, I, I get to do that. And that's why I had to do the, start developing the solo side of things because there was this uh, other part of me that I needed to explore sonically, you know, and really that's closest to what I probably listen to. I mean, the interesting thing is, is with both Alter Bridge and with Slash, I mean, that sort of thing sonically is something that though I listen to it and, and enjoy it, if I were to, you know, put a pie chart out, you know, it would maybe be 15% of the time versus the other, you know, 85% of the time that I'm listening to a lot of things that would inspire what I do with the solo thing. So that was something I just needed to do for my own kind of, you know, artistic jollies. Uh, just what, where I, where, where I, where I feel comfortable as an artist. Well, I remember you first talking about your solo album the, the previous one that came out and you were more talking about it in the framework of singer songwriter a little more kind of uh bare bones acoustic guitar and that that kind of vibe but the new record that like i said by, by the time this comes out i don't know if it'll be out yet but it does feel more hard rock though than it's got yeah it's got definitely got a rock vibe for sure plugged in on this one yeah so it's up to 11 yeah, you're not as I don't I don't think you're quite as uh lax as you believe, sir. <laughs> maybe I'm rocking a little harder than I thought, Doc. Maybe maybe I'm coming to that conclusion. 2020, you know, just just push this all to the edge a little bit. <laughs> uh, listen, I I know I don't have you for, for for too much longer, so I just wanted to hopefully I can wrap up this this one thing. This again, why I have you? I'm just I'm trying to seep the the, the wisdom if I can if I can get it a little bit. So this is kind of relates to the slash thing. And also kind of, this is where, you know, the six degrees of, you know, I know you get a lot of Kevin Bacon stuff, but this is like oh, yeah. six degrees of Miles Kennedy. So you did a song for Mark Morton from Lamb of God for his solo record. And I got to play with Mark's solo band. Awesome. So on he's the so song, cool, man. I love that guy. Yes. I've known him for, for forever. And uh, so we do the song you did save defiance and the, the guy mark morales who was, was singing he would sing the low harmony so i was like I'm like you know what i'm gonna fucking try and sing this 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 high this high harmony and i can actually do it like i actually have a pretty good range um but i ended up just doing so i, I would just do like the save defiance and uh i forget the, the line after that but i would i instead of doing the whole chorus i would just kind of come save like i would just kind of kind of do that but it was, it was it was it was good work so what i wanted to ask you about that is just this idea of singing high right i learned 
with bad wolves like we would that song zombie i i would do the high harmony in the in the in the chorus and it kind of i discovered my head voice right right you know just in the and i was like oh shit i can get some power in here and kind of kind of figure this out and i ended up doing in the studio i was singing something else recently and i was singing high with my other guy friend who does production he's like hey it's like the the high it's like he was kind of like kind of let me know it like it didn't sound that great like comparatively <laughs> so while i have you here what is the key and this is i know i rarely talk about technical shit on this 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 show um but is how like technically not that we have a lot of time to do this but singing high with power mm. is there a secret to that that you can impart on me that i can take with me sure and then this way you found the singer you now you can do it yourself this is great so it's really you know what it is um it, it, as i get up into my head voice the thing and it took me a long time to get this figured out make sure you support it yeah so so as i'm getting higher i'm this is going to get really tech really technical but i'm like pushing i start pushing out and pushing out with my diaphragm to really support that note um because so if you don't have that support there actually getting more air or you're just pushing in a different kind of way yeah so it's like it's i'm as i'm going higher so uh i'm sorry, I'm actually might it's too early on my break is right uh, but but above the pencil like in if you were to exactly point in your kind of in your sinus almost right exactly and as you get to that that part i always i kind of open the what's called the soft palate which is where you yawn like as as, as i get higher then it's like that i pretend like that as the note starts here and then as it's getting higher and higher and higher and higher it's it's almost as if it's shooting out the back of my head and i'm supporting with the not so much here a little lower almost the muscles like you pee with like and i push that out and I just and it's about that support but it took years and years and years and years of learning how to do that and at first when you're just using your falsetto your head voice yeah it's going to sound a little odd <laughs> well the well the reason i was trying to bring it all around with the slash thing is that you kind of had this unenviable job of having to sing Guns N' Roses songs live. And I, I would, uh, you know, I would always kind of put this point cause a lot of people would kind of criticize Axel. They're like, Oh, Axel had a bad show where he's screwing this up. And I, I would kind of bring him to this point. I'm like, you do understand no one else can really sing these songs like he's kind of one of one and and not and, and when i say with you the difference between you and axel is you have the range to physically hit the notes which is hard enough on its own but he does it with full grit yeah it's the grit thing he adds that grit thing but that's so fucking hard to do right like how do you do that and not hurt your voice how do you it's so you know it's him and it's like ACDC, there's only a few people that, that 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 can really do it. Um, but was that something just because the, I think there was this uh like study they did about which singers have the most range in from their in their recorded work from the lowest notes to the highest notes. And I saw one said it was Axel, and another one said it was Mike Patton. <laughs> Interesting. So, but I think people kind of undersell that ability and like you'll so you just something like slither right which the first is pretty low right in the set and then you got to do paradise city 
where you're like singing over over the moon. I mean, was that something that you felt like you pretty much had that range already, or did you, or did you have to kind of de- dig a little deeper to kind of pull off a full slash set? I think there was a certain part of the range that I had to, had to learn to uh, develop. And I mean, I I, I had. I, I knew the range was there, but it was like, how am I going to, how am I going to use it so that night after night when we're touring, it still works. I mean, that's really, for me, that's the difficult part. It's, it's not so much hitting the note, you know, on a day when my voice is fresh. It's the idea if you're going to be touring in six, six or seven months of the tour, can you still do it? And that's what I had to, had to learn to work on. And I got to be honest with you, there's so many, there's so much early on with that band that I wish I could just completely uh, as far as live performances that that I was doing, because I just hadn't learned how to how to how to to utilize this for that application yet. So you know, it was it was a learning process in front of lots of people <laughs> that is out there on the internet forever and ever, and it kind of is what it is. You know, you just you just go with it and move on. Yes, but what I'm, my, my my overall point is saying, if it's not you. Who the, I don't know who else could do that. Like, there's just not that many people that have that range. The, a, there's not a lot of singers that can even sing high, right? It's like, it's funny listening to the Mayfield 4 stuff. I hear like a little bit of that Chris Cornell influence and, and things like that. But there's just not that many people can do, can sing Jesus Christ pose, right? That could He had that thing, especially of that group of singers. He was really the only one singing high because i guess at that time it almost seemed 80s-esque where everyone was trying to go against that but he somehow made it relevant in 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 the 90s but i just don't think there's that many singers that can have that that range so if it ain't you who else is there well there's a few cats out there and there's just one guy actually there's mark from dirty honey as I'm, I, we've toured with him or t- toured them a number of times with with both slash the conspirators and with alter bridge and that guy's got a great range i mean he's i gotta, I gotta go down the dirty honey annals and, and and check out this this dude's oh check it out sick awesome stuff well, listen, uh, Miles, man, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you uh, taking your time and being so open. And uh, listen, I'm just, I'm a massive fan of, of what you do. You're real, you're, I think, someone for me to uh, look up to because you keep kind of getting to new plateaus and discovering new things. And you just, you know, and I, and I just think your attitude is incredible. You're, you're so humble. And, uh, and if I was as talented as you, I wouldn't be humble. I'd be walking. I'd be. I'd be telling people how great I am. Like the X podcast. I, do you know? How, do you know who I am? I have on my plate. I'm. I'm the X Man. Oh, actually, I too. Yes, X Man and the X Man. Boom. Right. Boom. I actually had two more. Two more quick, quick questions. Sure. And there's one is silly, and one is just a little bit curiosity. Have you actually ever met Kevin Bacon? Okay. True story. Night. It was nineteen ninety eight, or maybe it was ninety seven. Mayfield was on tour, and we were playing down. We oh, we'd open for Everclear, and we were playing down the street at a place called the Convention. It was Convention Hall, I think. It's as in Asbury Park. I'm from New Jersey. Okay, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I think this this I think it's a Stone Pony or one of those venues is just down the right. 
So the Bacon Brothers were playing down the street. So I'm on the tour bus and someone gets on. It's like, because the band knew, even even back then, people would scream when we were opening for, for bands. They'd say, hey, Kevin Bacon, get off the stage. You never cover Footloose. <laughs> I know, right? Maybe that's what I'll, maybe that's the next solo record. That'd be the lead single, right? So anyways, they're like, the Bacon Brothers are playing down the street. We, You've got to go down there and just, maybe we can get a picture with them, which you, you two st- standing together. So long story short, we go down there and I start walking through the crowd, literally just walking through the crowd and people are like, oh my gosh, your brother's on stage. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not a bacon brother. I'm, I swear I'm not a bacon brother. So after the show, one of my friends tried, tried his best. He knocked on the bus and was like, you know, trying to, trying to get him to come out for the photo op. Never happened. So I've, I've never met Kevin Bacon. Well, I'll say this. He's, he's a legend. Like he, he just did this. I was watching a movie. He, like he's like getting better looking as he's getting older. Like, like Miles Kennedy. It's not <laughs> the routine. It's a lot of kale. Okay. <laughs> Shakes. I don't know what you guys are doing. Pilates. <laughs> Send me the routine. All right, you guys are getting better looking, but you know, you guys, you know, there's a lot of similarities besides just the looks. I think there's something going on there. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I would love to. I would love to meet him and just be like, bro. I've been since since Footloose came out. I've been getting a lot of shit thanks to you. Listen, anything I can do to make this happen, I will. I'll, I'll try and talk to my people. And we're gonna try and put this. Together. All right, let's 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 make it happen. The best thing to do, probably just bring just invite his band on tour. All right, Slash, be like next time Slash goes out, be like, listen, we got to make this happen. Bacon Brothers are opening up. Uh, you know, we, we got I, mean, I have to overpay them. That's all right. I think they're going to be worth the draw at the door. Okay. So the other so the other question is I read, I don't know if this is rumor, it's real, that you were in line or in talks to sing for Led Zeppelin or a band with the members of Led Zeppelin that was not called Led Zeppelin. Is there any truth to this? Yeah. It wasn't going to be Led Zeppelin. They were trying to figure out. It was after they did um, their reunion show. I think it was in 2007 at the O2 in in London. And I think the guys were just Jones in the jam and play. I think it kind of just got them excited about playing again. And and Robert Plant at the time was was doing, I think he was doing his his record with Alison Krauss and it was going really well. And I think he was, he was busy. So yeah, I got I got I got a call from Jason Bonham from from Rockstar, and he was like, "Hey man, uh, me and some buddies are jamming this weekend. Do you want to come over?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, but who who are your buddies?" And when he you know when he told me, I was just like, "You got to be kidding me!" So yeah, I, I had I had the opportunity to, to 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 jam with those guys for a few days, and it was it was amazing. You know, I look they. Jimmy Page, man, John Paul Jones, Jason Bonham. That's that's, that's that's it. That's is there anything left? Do you have any thing left to accomplish? Or is it pretty much that's it? You've all the bucket list stuff. Just to meet Kevin Bacon. That's it. That's it. All right. <laughs> I think that's a great great way to to wrap it up. Right. All right. Miles, it's been just a pleasure just to to meet you and connect and uh you know talk about your 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 great career man and i just listen i i just really appreciate this doc it's been an absolute pleasure man thanks for having me on your show anytime you take care and i hope to see you soon and uh, everyone go check out his new solo record uh, ides of march it'll be out soon or it's out yeah i think may 14th all right all right
All right, man. Take care. You too, brother. Take care.
So that was Last Rites, which was an Ultra Bridge song that came out in 2020, a single. Like I said, that's one of them ass-beaten riffs I was talking about. That shit just comes in. And I know, we, we listen, we were talking a lot about Miles' solo record, which I'm going to play a song from solo record. I feel like I would be remiss not to do that, but I had to play that. that listen, when there's a, a new, brand new song with an ass-beaten riff and it's just coming in like that, I, I had to play it, all right? So... That's just what goes down sometimes. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. I mean, Miles is the best. I mean, he's he's just the best. Never met him before, but I felt like I'd known him my whole life after talking for five minutes, and that was amazing. And uh, so much, so much thanks to him. That was, I just, I just had a great time. And I don't know. I'm gonna, you know, I was talking a little bit about some. So maybe band business, maybe I shouldn't have been on the on the podcast. I don't like I said, I'm I'm almost to the point of not giving a fuck. <laughs> and and a lot of that has to do with the fact that collectively as a band, we've been quiet in terms of just the I guess some of the ulterior or exterior better way to look word excuse me exterior drama that's going on we, we've chosen not to participate and unfortunately that's caused i think sometimes with a fan base just about anyone if you don't kind of give them information they'll kind of either fill in the blanks or you know they'll they'll take the disinformation that's out there at its face value which don't do the Word to the wise, don't do that. I'm sure the people listening to this aren't doing that, but, uh, but yeah. So it's and I think what's what's made it kind of tough is dealing with bad wolf social media because there's a lot of you know there's some rabble rousers on there, some shit talkers, and I'm at the point now where I'm just ready to come out to motherfuckers and be like, yo, if you talk shit, you will get banned, just 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 flat out, because the truth is if you're on the page, right. And we're the band and you're just hating on the band, then you're not a fan. So peace out. I'm just that that's the way I'm I'm kinda at with at with it. I mean, I just feel like I don't want fans that are dicks. <laughs> you know? Uh and it's a and it's a weird time because the band's without a vocalist, so it's like this it represents a potential. For either good or bad, right? If we nail it, it's great. If we don't, then it's not. So we're this, uh, as I say, we're the, the band's a headless horseman right now. And so that creates a lot of uncertainty on that end, which is understandable. But, you know, there's certain things. It's like <laughs> at a certain point, I'm just, I'm, I'm just not feeling that shit. And I, it's like, I wish a motherfucker would. Like, come say that shit to my face, you know, some motherfucker on, on Instagram and you don't want to take it personally, but at, but at the end of the day, when someone's like, in a sense, not only wishing that you fail, but telling you you're going to fail, you're like, okay, okay, motherfucker, we'll, we'll, we'll see about that. And it, uh, you know, it's, it's been emotionally taxing for individuals in this band. And I don't think people really understand that. They think, I don't know what they think. But as a human being, I think you're if you're going to engage in those forums, uh, it's hard not to be affected to some degree unless you're just 
built. I don't know. That you're kind of a sociopath, right? You just don't, you just don't feel, <laughs> but yeah, it's been, it's, it's been crazy. I mean, I'm pretty much more or less like I've gotten beyond that stuff, but I do feel like when engaging, you know, like I'll go live and it's just a lot of, not a lot. It's, you know, I always say most of the people are cool, but it only takes a couple people, right? If, if I'm playing a show and there's a thousand people there and everyone's having a great time, but there's one guy in the front with his arms folded, giving you the finger or something, you're going to focus on that one person, which is a shitty part of human nature, but it's something that we do. And so you can have the discipline to ignore that, but at the same time, we can kind of create an environment of support because why not? It's our environment. So I think that's what we're going to do. But anyway, just hit little, little, little vent sesh right there. Yeah, there's not much else going on. What's going on? We're hard at work. Behind the scenes, we are hard at work, y'all. So things will be happening soon. And even though the Disturbed Tour is canceled, there will be other tours. And I'm going to presume, what is, what is it? It's March now. I'm going to presume somewhere around the end of summer, some things will be happening. Fall, even if, like I said, when I say things are happening, I'm not necessarily saying things with Bad Wolves, but just in the, the touring realm, I think things will be happening. So be encouraged, be hopeful. I'm, I am more, I, like I said, when the, when the, I found the tour was ca- canceled, I was not surprised. So I'm not like bummed out. I've been more or less an, anticipating this in, in, in some regard. And, and for us, believe it or not, actually takes the pressure off a little bit because if we definitely had that tour and it's like, we definitely need to do this. I need to have the record, need to have the singer, need to have all that stuff. And, uh, which we would have, trust me, that tour is in place. We gonna have a singer and a record by the time that shit happens. Uh, but it gives us a little leeway in case, you know, we can be a little more fungible, I guess, with figuring all that stuff out. So, so yeah, so disappointing, but when you manage your expectations, you're always going to be okay. All right. Enough of that. I'm going to play a track from Miles' new solo record, March of Ides, and this song is called In Stride, and I'm just going to, that's that'll be, it'll be that, and it's going right to the outro, so right now, Mamba's out.
radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.